Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him, michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments, and I hope they'll be useful for you. Is the IVF done in batches? Do you have an in-house or visiting embryologist? Oh, no, I think these are questions from people outside Australia. Right. Almost all clinics in Australia, there are a couple of country ones that batch patients. In other words, by putting people on the contraceptive pill, you can bring them into line and therefore run them all together at one, one uh, visit. Uh, I used to do that when I was in Europe doing cycles and I was based in London, but I was going to Italy and we would batch the patients but and, and then bring with us an, an embryologist. But I, I can't think of a clinic in Australia where that's done as a routine. Everybody's got their team of embryologists on site. Australia's very lucky having a lot of educated, well-trained embryologists. What can the side effects and complications be around IVF that we should be prepared for? Well, really, IVF... In the, in the long term, uh, has been shown to have no impact on women's health. Going through a cycle where you stimulate follicles, for instance, does not bring forward the menopause. That's always a worry that, that, that some women have. You know, I usually produce one egg a month, so if I'm producing 12, won't be that be using up all my eggs. That's not true because every month a woman is losing over 100 to 200 eggs. And, and what nature does is pick out one of those to produce an egg for ovulation. What we're doing with IVF is actually saving a dozen or so of those eggs that otherwise would have been lost. So it doesn't change the age of menopause. The other long-term effect, we obviously worry about cancer. We're giving women high doses of hormones for a short period of time. Now, the data 40 years on from the early days suggests there is no increased risk of any cancers associated with IVF. There's an occasional publication where somebody finds that there are four cases instead of two cases in a group of you know, 5,000 women and they go, oh, it doubles the risk. But when you actually analyze that, that means nothing. It's a tiny risk. And, and then there are, you know, there are 50 other studies or 50 times bigger studies of you know, groups of 50 and 100,000 people in Scandinavia where they've shown no increased risk of ovarian cancer, breast cancer, in fact, possibly a reduction in the risk of uterine cancer after IVF. So cancer in the long term, not a risk. In the short term, when we give hormones, we're obviously making lots of eggs and the ovaries are growing, uh, enlarging, and that can you can have discomfort, you can have fluid retention, both of those resolve spontaneously. Hormones affect people's psyche. <laughs> and certainly high levels of hormone make women more stressed. Although the, the process of IVF where you're desperately trying to have a baby also is a very stressful thing. And I certainly see that. At the time of the egg collection, there is about a one in a thousand. So incredibly small risk of damaging blood vessels that cause bleeding internally 
or infection, rare, but they do occur. After the egg collection, if you've been stimulated, overstimulated, or if your ovaries are responded incredibly well and you've got 20, 30 follicles and 20, 30 eggs, there's a risk of something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Up till five or six years ago, we worried about that substantially. About one to 2% of women ended up in hospital because of the swollen tummy, the fluid retention that goes along with hyperstimulation syndrome. Today, it's down to about half a percent, very uncommon, using modern therapies. Fortunately, around Australia, there are still specialists who don't seem to want to avoid hyperstimulation by using modern therapies. And I do see, unfortunately, too many cases of ovarian hyperstimulation, which could have been resolved. It's a problem. Around Australia as a whole in the last five years, we've reduced chances of OHSS by more than 50%. So it's, it's a really uncommon problem these days. So, I mean, that's a summary of most of the complications. Marizella says, I have questions for tablets prednisolone. Prednisolone, that, yeah. Prednisolone. Uh, that tablet, good for IVF for immune system. I think the question <laughs> is, is that good for you? I'm not sure what. Taking steroids generally should be avoided. You know, you are playing with the immune system, which sets up potential increased risks of infection, uh, for instance. However, we do use it, but we use it in very specific groups of patients. Even in those groups of patients, there is some question mark over the value of it. So the, the group that I personally use it on are women who've had one or two trials of IVF and haven't been successful. And we do investigations at that point looking for, for immune abnormalities. One of them is called natural killer cells. And if they're elevated I, in the next cycle, I do tend to use prednisolone. It's a relatively low dose, uh, 20 milligrams. I mean, people with rheumatoid arthritis or severe inflammatory issues you know, can take 100 milligrams a day. So 20 is not not high, but that's, you know, I, I, I need a reason to give it. In general, it's, it doesn't help IVF. Although I know some clinics around the world use it routinely, I'm not convinced. There is some evidence, not strong, but there is some evidence that the incidence of, of cleft palate, whether the lip is not fused, is slightly higher in women who've had prednisolone. If it is, it's something, instead of being one in a thousand children, it's one in 500. So depending how you look at it, some people, the front page of the newspaper would say, because they try to sell newspapers, from a very small number to a slightly less small number. So, you know, one in 500 is still very low if it helps you have a baby that you never otherwise could. Natalia says, what are your thoughts on DHEA? I've been taking it for three months. Do you think this helps IVF at all? There's a group in, in New York uh, who have made a lot of fuss about DHEA being wonderful for IVF, mainly for women who have very few eggs when we stimulate the first time. And I certainly do use it in that scenario. Uh, they say it should be taken for at least six weeks before an IVF cycle. The theory is that male hormones are important in the process of developing an egg in the ovary. The, the woman does produce testosterone, testosterone and testosterone-like metabolites in the ovary, and you do need some male hormones to help promote the growth of good eggs. With ageing, that male hormone levels in the ovary do decline. There's no question of that. And so the concept is if you could replace those lower lowered levels of testosterone or equivalent, you might improve egg quality. The 
people who push that quote individual patients who've suddenly got a lot better my own experience is that i've had some pregnancies where i didn't expect them uh, i've had increased numbers of eggs in some patients but not everyone it's harmless it's a very low dose of male hormone you're not going to grow a beard and you're not <laughs> you're not going to uh, get pimples and your voice isn't going to deepen it's a very low dose it's about a hundredth the, st the strength of actual testosterone but maybe it works my view is if it does no harm it's worth trying natalia asks a follow-up question do i still need to take it when i already have an embryo we stop the dhea usually just before one well, when we start the stimulation for a, a uh, cycle uh, of ivf it's really only useful for egg quality so it's no there's not much point in it if you're having a frozen embryo transfer and once you've got an embryo absolutely no reason and it may do some harm because you know women shouldn't be taking male hormones in early pregnancy and don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select ivf journey podcast from the navigation menu Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him, michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.